You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and we have a special treat lined up for you where I get to interview Skylar Samuels from The Gifted. Yes, that is the Skylar Samuels who played the Frost Sisters on The Gifted. She was also the star of The Nine Lives of Chloe King, and she was on American Horror Story and Scream Queens. She was very generous in sitting down and giving her time to have an interview with me. We talk about her whole career, she even talks about some things that she's got coming up, and I think that everyone listening to this is going to be uh, really interested in some of the things that she has to say, and yeah, it was just a great experience all around. In news on our end, as usual in the pandemic, there's not a whole lot going on. Beth and I have started watching Warehouse 13. We found a way of watching the last few episodes of Mystery Science Theater that we hadn't seen yet, the ones that have never been put on DVD, so that's kind of exciting. And so we're just going through our normal watch-throughs and everything like that. We're probably going to watch the Snyder Cut of Justice League at some point. We haven't decided when or how or whatever. Probably going to break it up into multiple viewings because a single four-hour movie sounds like a little too much. And we're both looking forward to Godzilla vs. Kong coming up here at the time of this recording. Although, when this is posted, I think that it's only a couple of days away from coming out at that point. So hopefully we'll be watching it along with the rest of you guys. So uh, that's pretty exciting. Another news, my oldest daughter just did a concert where she has a cello solo. So that's kind of exciting. We don't actually get to see it because the kids all go into a room where they're socially distanced in their orchestra and it's recorded. So I will see that at some point in the future, but I always love watching the concerts and she's part of the Milwaukee Youth Symphony Orchestra. So it's kind of an honor with that and everything. So it'll be interesting to see that when it comes out. It'll be a lot of fun. Beth has made manager at her work. And so that's really exciting, really awesome. So yeah, that's really the only new developments that have been going on for us because life is what it is. But the other thing that I wanted to report is that the 42 cast is now available on Pandora. So that was pretty exciting news. I just got that a couple of days ago at the time of this recording. And so, yeah, I mean, that's another platform. Obviously, if you're listening to the show anyway, you already have your method of listening to 42 cast. But hey, if it's more convenient for you to listen to it on Pandora, it's there too. And just pass the word along. But yeah, I don't want to detract from the interview at all, so we're going to go over to there after we pause for a moment for a promo from another fine podcast. My name is Mark McCrae, and I'm the author of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives. I'm Dan Klink, co-host of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. The Best Saturdays of Our Lives features programming trends from the 1966 television season all the way through the last hurrah of the early digital age of the 1990s. On the show, if it's animated, we talk about it. Order your signed copy today at tbsool.com. And listen to the podcast at esonetwork.com and all podcast platforms. 
And we're back. And if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you know that I love X-Men. And if you follow the X-Men, you know that mutants have it rough. And with me today is someone that knows that three times over, and that is Skylar Samuels. Skylar, welcome to the 42 Cast. Thanks, Nathan. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. I'm glad that you could make it on. So how have you been holding up since COVID-19 and, and lockdown and everything? You know, taking it one day at a time, doing my best to say, you know, stay sane, which is easier on some days than others. I think I am so grateful for streaming right now because I have really gotten to indulge in TVs and movies in a way that I wouldn't normally have the time to do. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sort of treating it as like my cinematic vacation. (laughs) It's like, okay, if I can't go to work and make a movie or a TV show right now, then I am going to get lost in the world of my art. And it's been a really wonderful distraction helping me get through all of this. But I definitely miss being back at work and I hope to be back in the real world or whatever the new normal version of that is soon. Yeah, no, that's excellent. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's kind of the same thing just because a lot of shows just aren't coming back or are delayed or whatever. So I I have time to go and check out all those shows that I've been like, oh, well, I'll watch that someday, but don't have a chance when so many new shows are coming out all the time. Exactly. I turns out I was like, oh, someday is now that 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 in that date that I was like, yeah, I haven't seen that yet. Like at some point, I'm like, oh, some point is now. We are home for the year. Okay, like let's buckle down and stick to our word. <laughs> so yeah, what are you watching or what kind of shows do you like to watch? I have gone all over the place. I basically realized there was probably eight years between when I was in a high school overlapping with when I was in college that I just wasn't watching television. And so I basically was like, what happened in this gap of time? Like, what did I miss? Like, I want to revisit this decade. So it was like mid 2000s to like early 2010s. I've been watching House of Lies because I'm obsessed with Don Cheadle and Kristen Bell Mm. and um, Ben Schwartz. Comedy is always kind of my go-to. So I've watched that. I watched... It was not funny at all, but really great. I watched Normal People on Hulu. Watched that in one sitting, bawled my eyes out. That was at the beginning of quarantine when like sure. emotions were still high. So that was good. And then emotions stayed high and I was like, we got to go back to comedy. I need I need some levity <laughs> right now. Right, right. Um, I watched a show called The Duchess on Netflix that I really loved. I watched oh, probably my all-time fave of quarantine, which has lifted my spirits high and above is Ted Lasso on Apple TV. That show just just filled my heart with all kinds of just like sparkles and butterflies and lightness and was like such a gift, the perfect escape from the pandemic election world madness of 2020. So I've definitely been escaping with what I've been watching and uh, I've been keeping it light. My heart has needed that these days. <laughs> Well, no, I, I can definitely understand that. And that's good that you're able to keep it light. So when you are not in lockdown slash quarantine, what are the kinds of things that you like to do? So back in my real life, uh, back when real life was a thing, uh, school was a big part of my life up until recently. I've been sort of, a, I called myself a super senior. I was in college, like super, super steady. And then my senior year, it took four years, which is 
in effect, the length of a normal college term. So I was a super senior and I actually got to finish college. I went to Stanford and I got to finish right at the beginning of quarantine this year in the spring. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was great. So school is usually a big part of my life. I am an avid animal rescue, foster mom, dog mom. I love to spend my time with little fuzzy creatures. Always good for the heart and soul. And something I'm really proud of, which we're now doing virtually, but I definitely miss doing in person, is I work with a mentorship program here in LA called Good City Mentors. And we are a leadership program for at-risk teens across Los Angeles. And I think we're currently in 10 or 11 different schools. And so I was mentoring a couple times a week at a few different schools. I've got groups of students that I work with who I love very, very much. And now we're adapting, you know, doing it virtually, which isn't quite the same thing. But that's really a, a big part of my life when I'm not at work and, you know, we're allowed to like leave the house and stuff, mm. see other people. That's, that's really what my life looks like. Oh, very cool. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I mean, I kind of know what you're talking about because actually my senior year was two and a half years. So I get it. <laughs> you know, I get that life could get in the way of the stuff. Yeah. And you know, it's not high school. You, mm. You're allowed to finish in eight years. Right. Like, it's okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. albeit as I was finishing in the spring this year, I had a classmate of mine who was like, you seem to know a lot about this, like this topic. You're very well spoken. Can I ask how old you are? And I said, oh, I'm 26. And they were like, whoa, you're eight (laughs) years older than me. I was 10 when you started college. And I was like, don't tell me that. It's so scary. (laughs) That's always hard. (laughs) So yeah, um, you you talked about animal rescue. And from the research that I've done, I know that you have a dog named Mady. I do. He's currently eating a bone slash taking a nap on the bed behind me. He's really been the winner of quarantine. He is thrilled <laughs> that we are together every day. He was I like, bet. this is great. Why don't you just stay at home with me all the time? <laughs> I'm like, sorry, bud. That's, this, is, this is a unique vacation. You and me. It's mommy and me time every day. <laughs> so was he a rescue? He was. I actually had the craziest story rescuing Mady. I've had Mady for five and a half years, and I found him in New Orleans when I was filming Scream Queens. Hmm. And I had been on Scream Queens for a couple of months, and then by happenstance stumbled into a place that I thought was a coffee shop, except it wasn't a coffee shop. There was just this like cheery woman who was like, hey there, are you looking for a dog? I was like, oh. I was like, I don't know, I could be. And then like next thing I knew, I was like holding this little tiny crazy-eyed creature and I fell madly in love and Mady and I have been (laughs) have been traveling job to job across America together ever since and it's awesome he's my little buddy my sidekick if you will (laughs) yeah I've seen a few pictures and things that you've posted online so yeah no that's that's cool so so he was missing an eye when you adopted him when I met Mady he was eight weeks old and he had two eyes but his other eye was this like big kind of googly eye. He had had some abuse, some trauma to the eye. So I anticipated that he was going to have one eye and he had this crazy snaggle tooth. And I was like, all right, you're going to be like a funny looking little pirate dog. And so fitting that he's from New Orleans, no less. So Mm. naturally he was named Matey, my little pirate pup. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. I have a dog that I got from the Humane Society that we don't know if he was a rescue because they don't know where uh, they know he came from Mississippi and they shipped. I live in Wisconsin. 
but they don't know anything about his background. But he's so skittish about certain things that I wonder if he was abused. It's nice, though, when you have a dog because they're, you know, they love the attention. They love you. And it's a nice experience. They're the best. It's unconditional love. And they ask you no questions. It's mm-hmm. like, this is the best relationship ever. This is great. You just love me and snuggle me. And like, that's it. Okay, this is awesome. Like, it's he's the perfect little creature. And uh, yeah, it's great to rescue. That was probably... Honestly, one of the highlights of working on The Gifted was that everyone was like an insane animal rescue person. And what happens when you put 50 of those people together, you know, from across the cast and the production, mm-hmm. you basically had a dog park where we shot the show because everyone was obsessed with their dog and was like, well, I'm not going to not come to work without my dog. So like, obviously they're coming with. And we had this like big field in the middle of where we had our sound stages and our trailers and it was just like dogs, puppies everywhere, all day, every day, no matter what department you went to on the show, there were dogs everywhere. There was dogs in hair and makeup, special effects makeup, wardrobe, construction, accounting, it didn't matter, there was dogs everywhere. And the dogs of the gifted, I think were also very sad when the show didn't come back because they had their friends, like their parents, their human parents went to work and then like they all hung out in the day. It was just the sweetest, sweetest deal that way. That was the best. Yeah. It was awful that The Gifted didn't get renewed for a third season, but I'm going to put a pin on that just for a second because I got a few more things that I want to ask you before we get to The Gifted. Sure. You've been acting since you were fairly young. I mean, IMDb says 2004. I don't know if that's accurate or not. But people I've interviewed in the past all came from a very traditional background, actors that I've interviewed. They went through school, they went to acting school, they went to the theater, and then they ended up doing television or film projects or whatever. So how do you get started as a child actor in these roles? Yeah, I mean, I grew up here in Los Angeles, which is where I am currently. And I guess 2004-ish, maybe a little earlier. I don't know. It's, it's been that long that I'm like, circa early 2000s. I don't know. I know it's been almost 20 years now, so that sounds about right. Mm -hmm. But it was just something that I asked to do over and over again, much to my parents' dismay. They were like, please, for the love of God, like the last thing we're going to do is put our child into show business. You know, my mom was an entertainment news producer. My dad was a U.S. Marshal. Like, I did not have stage parents. I had parents who were like, I'm either reporting on celebrities or arresting them. Like, the last thing I want is for my own child (laughs) to, like, grow up in this business. But I was mighty persistent and just kind of fell into it. I kind of, by fluke, got to work with my mom when she was working at Access Hollywood. They had hired a kid reporter to cover the Harry Potter junket, I think for the second movie. And like the night before this huge interview with the Harry Potter kids, the girl they hired bailed and her boss was freaking out because they didn't have anyone to send. And my mom and him were like scrambling to find someone. And then he turned to my mom and he was like, didn't you say Skylar wanted to be on camera or something? And my mom was like, you are insane if you think I'm putting my eight-year-old on a plane to Chicago to go do an interview. Like, I was in, like, the second or third grade at the time. She was like, what am I, like, no, like, that would be crazy. Turns out they couldn't find anybody else. So that was, I was their best, <laughs> their best bet. And, uh, yeah, and my mom basically came to me and she's like, I'm going to give you your first acting job. Like, you're going to pretend to be a reporter, and we are going to go and interview the Harry Potter kids. And I took it so seriously. I was so excited. 
And that was my first TV gig that just kind of got the ball rolling on all these other opportunities that have come since. But it was really fun that my mom, even though she was so against it, ended up being a part of my origin story. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about college a little bit, but, you know, when you're really young and you're trying to do school and you're acting, is that really difficult? Like, how do you manage keeping work and school and having some kind of a life? You know, how do you have that balance? I don't know if I did, if I'm being completely honest. It was really hard. I mean, I'm lucky that, like I've made very clear, my parents, who were very much like hesitant on all of this, were supportive once they saw that I was truly interested. But that being said, they were very adamant that I was always a student actor until I was done with college. And then I could drop the student part and just be an actor. But, you know, I never homeschooled or went to a special school. I was always in like a regular preparatory school with like mostly non-actor people. Granted, there was a few of us because it's Los Angeles and we exist around these parts. But yeah, I just, I just had like, I'm lucky I inherited an awesome work ethic from both of my parents because sometimes I think back to periods where I'm like, how the hell did we pull this off? Like I think about the years that I was filming The Nine Lives of Chloe King, which was like right at the beginning of my junior year of high school. So I was working adult hours, which means I didn't have a set teacher. And I had just gotten a license, so I had been driving for all of four minutes. But I was also the lead of a show, also trying to stay in the 11th grade, also doing college applications and taking SATs. And I just was like, yeah, I don't think I slept between, like, Mm. that part of 2010 and 2011. Like, I think I was awake for nine months. Like, I must have been. Um, I don't know how. I, I don't know how other than to say that I was really lucky that in my youth, I always worked with showrunners and producers and writers who were super keen on the fact that I went to school and very encouraging of it. And somehow by the grace of something kept me going and were like, it's cool. We'll just, we're going to figure it out. And I, you know, I might not have understood it at the time, but now that I'm much older and have worked with child actors now, I have this perspective that my experience was pun intended, but a gifted one. Like I was really lucky to have people support me and help me get through that. And it's such a gift because I have no idea how I pulled it off. And I certainly don't think I could do it again. So (laughs) I'm grateful for the help I got (laughs) along the way. That is funny. Like, I feel the same way sometimes about working and going to college and stuff. And I'm like, I don't know how I did that, but I did it. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you look back on certain parts of your life and you're like, what? I did what? In in how much time? Really? Are you sure that was me? I mean, sometimes it feels like an outer body experience. And when I was in it, it felt like I was just like running uphill with a trillion tons on my back. And now I think, gosh, what a snap in time. Mm -hmm. Like it feels like it was so quick and so long ago. It's kind of funny how that happens. Yeah. So you brought up Chloe King and it's funny because I've been in a little bit of a rabbit hole because I'd never heard of the show until I started doing research. And my daughter and I started watching it as I was preparing for this interview. And she's a fan, (laughs) by the way, now. That's awesome. And... uh, (laughs) How old is your daughter? Uh, She is nine. Okay. 
that is, I would say, the perfect age probably to be thinking that this is like an edgy show without being like too edgy. Right, exactly. Yeah, there were a couple things where I was like, oh, I didn't know something, you know. <laughs> like when Paul is like, oh, I, I'm going to take things to the next level and thinks that that means, you know, he's going to sleep with her, you know. That, ABC that Family like, oh, back in the I day. I didn't know that was something like that would be there. But, yeah, you know, I guess <laughs> that was our version of pushing the envelope at that <laughs> right. point in time. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she like, a lot of that stuff just kind of like whizzes by her. So, you know, it's okay. But yeah, so first of all, that is not an okay way to end a series. I don't disagree. I don't disagree, Nathan. Why didn't the end, because I, I was reading a little bit online about it and there was supposed to be a, a movie to end things. So why didn't that get made? You know, there was a script for it, and I read it. Our beloved, amazing, I can't say enough good things about him, creator Dan Berenson wrote the screenplay. He had it in the can, and, you know, it was kind of a weird moment, like, not to get too, like, TV baseball with it, but, like, there was a lot of changes, I think, around that time of, like, ABC Family and Disney and the whole kind of corporate restructuring and there was kind of this shift of like do we want to be in the sci-fi space do we want to do more shows like pretty little liars do we want to be more this do we want to be more that and you know it's tough when those things happen and they happen a lot there's always kind of like a political current that you know if you're sort of like the little engine that could type of show where you're on the brink sometimes you get swept one way or the other in those political currents but you know, I've long joked about it, but ironically, it is something I've given more and more serious thought to in quarantine, which is, I always joked because I love Veronica Mars, like Kristen Bell is Veronica Mars. To me, it's like, it's a pillar. It's a pillar of teen TV. It's like the best of the best not to be messed with. I love it. But I was like, what if we rebooted the nine lives of Chloe King the way they did with Veronica Mars? Because it's been 10 years. <laughs> I just thought, like, what if Chloe's just like a regular millennial who's like <laughs> trying to navigate the world, but like she still has her claws? I don't know. I think there's something kind of fun to that idea. And I joke about it often, but it is a serious thought that is very much ruminating in my mind. And I hope at some point in my early-ish adult life, I can bring that to fruition because that show was the most fun and such sweet people. And I just think it would be really fun for the little cult following that it had. I'm like, they deserve some recap, some ending. We got to right. give them something. <laughs> well, I've seen like, there are still comments like from people on your social media talking about like Nine Lives of Clay, like, like recent comments. I mean, I got to tell you, it's pretty crazy. You know, I've been blessed to work on a myriad of things over the last few years. And it's always amazing to me that that show which, you know, you're told, oh, the ratings weren't good enough. We had to take it off the air. I hear more about that show than anything else I've done, which was <laughs> so wild to me. So I'm like, where are these people who are watching this show? I don't know. Either it was the most like pirated success of all time. <laughs> and like, that's why the ratings weren't so great. I have no idea, but I am grateful. And I was told that it now exists somewhere in streaming land. I don't know if that's true. So yeah, if anyone's listening to this and they're curious about what we're talking about, you can check out <laughs> The Nine Lives of Chloe King for free on the Freeform website. Oh. Go to freeform.com and it's there. You can stream it. I mean, it's also available on Amazon, but you have to pay for it on Amazon. So yeah, yeah, you can get it for free on Freeform. 
see, this is so great. I didn't even know that. I knew it was somewhere. I didn't know where. This is so exciting. See, it wasn't even freeform when I made the show. It was right. still ABC Family. I'm dating myself. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's also one of the joys of all of these new streaming platforms is there's been a rebirth and revival of people discovering the show. You know, your daughter was like maybe just born if that, at the time I made the show. and Yeah, she was born in May, and then the show, I think, was 2011. The summer of 2011 was when it was on. Yeah, so we started at the end of 2010 making the show. But yeah, like, that's so cool to me that people are getting to discover it, and that's such a gift. So, yeah, I hope that builds traction for us to do the adult reboot down right. the road. <laughs> So I haven't had a chance to read the script. I know it's out there somewhere online. And so I, I just want to know a few things just really quick. Is Chloe's father dead? Well, I haven't read the script in years now. Oh, so okay. Like, oh, gosh, I wonder if I remember. <laughs> I don't know if we got... I don't want to give it away. And now I'm, it's coming back to me on the off chance we do dig it up. But I do recall that the movie definitely gets into the father-daughter relationship and sort of shedding a little bit more light on that, as well as really addressing many of Chloe's relationship problems. Right. Like that girl, for sure, <laughs> she really, she needs like to be in therapy. Like there is some serious relationship stresses and I always joke that, like, in the reboot, like, that's where we would find Chloe. It's like, mm -hmm. in extensive therapy because her teen years of dating were so traumatizing. that <laughs> <laughs> she's trying to work through all these issues of being a cat and a woman and dating all these different people. <laughs> I'll say this much, because, you know, obviously it's the typical YA trope. You know, you got to have the love triangle and all that. But I will say this much. At least... They came up, you know, the creators came up with a valid reason for why this would be difficult. There's a guy she's really into, but if she's with him, she would kill him. And the other guy, it's like he's more into her, but she, she could be with him. And so it's kind of like I kind of get where it's instead of normal YA, where it seems like the, the girl is just kind of like can't make up her mind, you know, kind of thing. But at least with Chloe, there's some more basis for it. For sure. It was definitely not based on... It wasn't based on indecision. Chloe's a very decisive young woman. It was really forbidden temptation. Although I did this show immediately after doing one season of another show on ABC called The Gates, where I played like a teen succubus, which was kind of a bummer actually being in high school when I did these shows because on both The Gates and The Nine Lives of Chloe King, every human boy that I kissed, I killed, like they were dead. So I also had to leave work and go be in high school. I didn't really date in high school, if that was the next follow-up question, because they were like, oh, you're the girl from TV who kisses boys and then they die. <laughs> oh no, you have the kiss of death. <laughs> I do have the kiss of death. Kind of a weird burden, if you'd call it that, to bear in real life high school where kids will just find any reason to make fun of you. And there was a part of me that's like, I can't even argue you with that because I've done it twice now. I've done it twice in a row. I'm not exactly sure why I've been typecast to be the girl who kills human boys with her kiss. But alas, those, those were my high school years. <laughs> All right. So putting Chloe aside, still talking about the show, but your own personal opinion, Team Brian or Team Alec? Okay, I had to give it some thought. I would say 
oh, this is going to be so controversial. I think I would enjoy a version. Now, it would have to be told. We couldn't just call it right now. I would need I would need some more narrative to get us to this place. I think there's a world where it could be really satisfying to see Chloe end up with Alec. Mm-hmm. Because I think sometimes, you know, the person that we get all starry-eyed about isn't always what they seem. Mm. And so I feel like it would be fun to watch Chloe kind of give it a go with Brian and then see that maybe it wasn't all it was like in her head because it was so, you know, forbidden for so long. And also like Alec is kind of a tool, but you also love him even though he's a little bit the worst. And sometimes I feel like those are the people who sort of chip away at us and win our hearts over. I would almost compare it to, oh, I was thinking about this when I was watching it recently. Okay, I was rewatching New Girl and it was making me think about Schmidt's character how he's like kind of the worst. He's kind of the worst. Like he's obnoxious and he thinks he's hot stuff. And you're like, God, enough with this guy. But at the same time, he's also really lovable and kind of a solid dude. He just has a terrible way of presenting himself, but he's a diamond in the rough. And I feel Alec is the same way. So we'd have to kind of chip away at him. But I think deep down that would be my my personal want. I would love to see Alec become a little more gentlemanly and have him and Chloe work out their stuff. I think that would be fun. Yeah. You know, kind of like a Han Solo, Princess Leia kind of thing, where he started yeah. out kind of that way, too. Except, and... like, I for sure hope he's not my brother, because I don't think Freeform <laughs> would condone that. <laughs> but other than that, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So what was your favorite thing about playing Chloe? Playing Chloe was was the apex of what I thought being 16 years old was going to feel like. Mm. I have grown up just loving movies and TV shows and thinking of my life in terms of being in a movie or a show and just like, I love it. Like I'm, I'm obsessed with it always. And all of my ideas about what my, you know, teen and early 20s and adult life was going to be, was always based on the films and movies that influenced me. And Chloe King was such a satisfying experience for me to make because it was the first time I got to lead something and be a title character, which was really special. I was so excited to have that responsibility. But Chloe was also a badass. It was the first time I got to do stunts and train and kick butt and be witty basically be Veronica Mars, who I idolized. I mean, it was so satisfying and so fun. And it was the perfect job to both empower me as an actress, but also just as a 16-year-old kid who was trying to figure out who she was and where she fit into the world. And that show forever changed my life. I made lifelong friends and acquaintances, and I got to experience this newfound sense of me in the job that I'm so grateful for. It was just one of the highlights of my youth, no doubt. Nice. Since Chloe, you've worked on quite a few different genres. It's, you know, you've been in sort of the urban fantasy area, you've done horror, you've done comedy, and you've done sort of an action series with The Gifted. Was that part of any kind of a strategy or were you, or is it just, this is the work that came up that you were able to do? I would like to say there was some kind of strategy, but truth be told, as a working actor, you just go up for everything and hope for the best. And 
I just kept finding myself in these like sci-fi sort of action oriented arenas. And I don't know. I kept thinking like, is this happening on purpose? Is this kismet? I don't know. I don't know how this keeps happening, but it's fun. You know, I also think those genres tend to be really like the pinnacle of playing make-believe. You know, there are shows, no matter what show or movie you're on, you're playing make-believe, but you're really playing make-believe in the sci-fi world or in the world of the X-Men. Like it's like monster makeup and creatures and superpowers. I mean, it is as big and imaginative as it gets. And it's the most fun. Like it is just unparalleled fun and I enjoyed them all. And so I think that the joy of that, I'm glad I've gotten to experience with so many different groups of people and different types of shows because it's so fun to make. And truth be told, there's no greater fan base than the fans of those genres. And it's deeply satisfying to make content for a group of people you know are going to devour it and tell you what they think, good or bad, but also just there are people who are really excited about it. And as an artist and an actor, that fuels me. I want to deliver something that makes those people excited and happy to sit down and turn on the TV. So it's been a joy to work in that genre for the last few years. Yeah, I mean, I personally think The Gifted ended well before its time. I said, because, you know, why I do enjoy like the X-Men films, The Gifted allows you, because it's a series, to take much longer with the storylines and to really establish the world that, you know, these mutants inhabit and everything. And that's why I feel like it being cut short like that was, you know, kind of a tragedy. But before you were cast in The Gifted, how aware of the X-Men franchise were you? I was aware of the X-Men franchise, I guess, peripherally. I knew... I had a sense of who they were. It was like, yeah, it's like the bald guy in the wheelchair and the blue woman with the kind of scaly skin. Yeah, yeah, I know what the X-Men are. And then I actually joined the show and got totally schooled by our producer, Derek Hoffman, on what the X-Men actually were. And it was made very apparent to me that, in fact, I had a lot to learn. And it was much deeper than that. But yeah, I, I was really humbled and amazed getting to learn the proper history of the X-Men. I had no idea about the historical implications and the origins of the characters and how far back they went. So it felt like a real honor to carry on that tradition into doing The Gifted. So from the standpoint of me watching the show and whatnot, I don't know what, how much goes into it. Like, is it one of those shows? Because I hear sometimes actors talk about shows where you got to be there at 4 a.m. and then you're leaving at 10 p.m. Like, was it like a kind of a grueling schedule like that? Or what was it like actually being there on the show? And I'd be lying if I said that never happened. We had a <laughs> few days that were pretty big. But in the grand scheme of things, it was a fairly well-oiled machine. It was enormous in scale. I mean, the lead cast alone, we were, gosh, I think 10 people, 11 people. So just to have a core ensemble that big is not very common. And beyond that, we had a pretty extensive crew and writing room. And it was just a big show. Mm -hmm. But it was really, really fun to make. And that show by far was like, 
all the super nerds were unleashed and then they were hired to work together. And it was so awesome because everybody came in with this unparalleled enthusiasm, which is not always the case. Generally, especially within a genre show, some people are more excited than others. But The Gifted was a unique experience where regardless of behind camera, in front of camera, across the board, everyone was amped and just so nerdy. And they were like, we want to nerd out on the X-Men and we want to talk about fan fiction and we want to talk about like all these different like Easter eggs we can leave throughout the show. And like that excitement and enthusiasm just made for the best professional experience I've ever had. It was so wonderful, truly. That is really cool. So fun. I met Emma Dumont at Dragon Con last year. Oh, fun. I was really surprised by like how much she actually knew about X-Men. And you know, t- she was talking to some people in the autograph line ahead of me. And I was just like, wow, this is amazing <laughs> that you're working on the show. And you know, you're an actor, so you don't really need to know the background. But it's kind of cool when you know, the actors do. And we would talk about it. I mean, Emma is a great example of someone who had like that ultra nerd enthusiasm and was like, let's get into it. And it was so fun. It Mm. was fun to learn and talk about that. And we would talk about the show, not on camera. Like we cared about the origins and we cared about different things we could incorporate. And we loved paying homage to our sort of parental figures within the X-Men universe in whatever ways we could, you know, like she was Magneto's daughter. And so she would find little things to incorporate. And I would look to Emma Frost and it was like, what could we incorporate? Like It was fun. And there was sort of this shared responsibility and interest in making sure that we were making a show for X-Men fans that would feel and resemble that world of the X-Men, that it wasn't just some random spinoff show, that it was really entwined with the narrative that people have grown up with. Yeah, no, I think you did, you succeeded very well with that. So, you know, you played three different characters on the show, and how is that done, you know, as far as the technical side of it? Do you record as Esme and then it's like okay now I'm gonna stand where Phoebe is and I'll record all that and then I stand where Sophie is and I'm gonna record that or or is it is it simpler than that is it more complicated than that how does that get pulled off I guess it is as simple as that and it is as complicated as that (laughs) (laughs) both are true Uh I loved playing the triplets it was like having choreography in a job in a way I had never experienced. And I really got my sort of technical brain just schooled because this was a whole different way of performing because there was this new element of geography that didn't exist before. And the way that we would usually shoot it is we'd start with one triplet at a time And I had these two amazing girls play my body doubles, Amber Irwin and Rebecca Ray. And so we all had matching little blonde wigs and we would dress in the same outfits. And so Amber would always know Phoebe and Esme's lines. And then Rebecca would always know Sophie and Esme's lines. And then I knew all three. And so we would alternate. So if I was Esme, Rebecca would be Sophie. Amber would be Phoebe and then it was like musical twins or triplets rather and then we'd switch and then it was like okay Skylar's hopping into Sophie's position so now Rebecca is reading as Esme or you know Skylar Sophie and it was just like the scramble that we did 
pretty much all of season two and that last part of season one. And it's not a fast process, but it's a really fun one and super rewarding because we worked with um, our visual effects coordinator, David Beaton. He has this little monitor. And so we could play back a take immediately and see all three of the triplets in the same space. So it was really cool because we had this amazing technology where in real time we could get a sense of, okay, so we need this sister to go here and this one to go there. And does it actually look like I'm looking at anybody? Because sometimes I had to just talk to the air as if it were another triplet. But it was very satisfying to see that in real time. So we didn't have to wait till the episode was edited to make sure we got it right. But it was a lot of work and the most amount of fun. And I miss it every single day. So did you get three times the pay because you were doing three times the, the, the characters? <laughs> Nathan, it's a question I'm always asked. And I asked it myself. I asked it myself. And initially, I just remember Fox was like, it's not going to be that much work. And then, you know, your contract is done way before any of this stuff had happened. And at the end of season two, everyone was like, damn, turns out it is that much work. We were mistaken. That is a lot. <laughs> but it was so fun. And honestly, it was such a joy to do. I, mm. I, I loved it. It was never a burden to be the three of them. I loved it. And I love it still. It's a very kooky kind of part. And I'm not sure I'll ever do anything quite like it again, but it was so special. How did you match the, cause I mean, when you watched it, there's such perfect synchronization between the movements. So how, how do you do that when, I mean, is that just the, the body doubles doing the movements with you that perfectly? Or is that them somehow digitally like making it so that when you turn your head, you know, as one character, you know, they, they change it so they're all moving their head at the same time or things like that. Because that's what always wowed me is just how perfect it looked. You know, Matt Nix has joked about this, our showrunner. He's like, I don't know that we could have hired someone who's not like an OCD perfectionist to do this part because otherwise it might have been a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> and I realize, yeah, he's probably right because I am such a perfectionist in my work. I always want to get things exact and hit my mark and make sure that the technical parts are met, that I really thrived on making sure that the technique and nuances of movement across each sister were not only consistent, but in sync when they needed to be. And there was a real sharpness to the Frost sisters in how they moved and how they dressed and how they spoke. And that I loved like a head turn, like a real like snap in the body. Mm. And, you know, you can only do so much of that digitally without looking like the exorcist where their head's going to come <laughs> off and it looks all crazy. Yes. So really we had to get it right. And obviously, you know, it's almost like if you think of it as like a triptych, right? Like a three panel screen, they would stitch one sister into space with the two others. And so those were really three takes playing at once, blended into one larger take. And so they could alternate, you know, timing. They could move that about. But the way in which we moved was me. The timing and how we moved was the visual effects magic that was the gifted. But it was so fun. And Amber and Rebecca and I, we would have little... It, we almost looked like we were dancing. Like we'd be in the halls of the studio, like practicing and getting in formation together and... That's what we did. We did the Frost Sisters dance for months and 
it pays off and I'm very proud of it. So I appreciate you noticing that detail. We worked very hard on that. Uh, no problem. I mean, it's definitely one of the things that jumps out at you. I mean, because also, like you say, with that snap, it made them really disturbing and kind of unsettling. So, you know, you get these three people that are moving in such alignment and with these very sharp movements. And so, you know, and that's what you want from characters like that. They're supposed to be unsettling the people that's watch- that are watching them. Exactly. And I think calling the Frost sisters unsettling is putting it kindly. So thank you. I think that's a fair, <laughs> that's a very fair description. <laughs> I told a friend of mine that I was going to talk to you and he wanted me to ask you how many more sisters do you think that they could have added before it would be too much to you? Oh my gosh. We, I think I could have made it up to five. I think beyond a hand's worth of frost sisters, (laughs) I would have been, you know, sort of intimidated by an army of me's that I don't know that I would have been ready for. But I remember, I think there's an episode I want to say it's episode six, season two, where the cold open is the flashback of the girls in like the sort of asylum prison where they're being held when they're younger. And the actress who we had hired to come in and play the little, the little Frost, baby Frost, um, I had worked with her and I came to set when they were filming that. And she had to do the five of them because it's five in the flashback. And I just remember our director turning to me and going, but can you imagine if you had to do this every episode? And I said, honestly, no, I don't think we would get through the day. But she did such a good job. And, you know, we had to go through and create little movements for the other two sisters who we didn't get to meet in season two. But, you know, it was hinted that if the show had continued, we probably would have met at least another sister along the way, which would have been really cool. Um, because in theory, the thing about the Frost sisters, especially as they exist in this timeline in the contemporary world, or, you know, the world five minutes from now, but really the contemporary world, is that there's versions of us that could have grown up in different environments and circumstances all over the place and just not know about each other. And so, like, there is a very strong likelihood Esme is walking down the street and she sees, like, the punk version of her walk by in, like, Hot Topic attire with, like, an emo haircut, but it's, like, for sure her face. Like, that could just happen. Like, we don't know how many of them exist and that you could just stumble across a frost at any given moment. And I would have loved for that to have happened. I think that would have been really fun. Are you familiar with a show called Orphan Black? Yes. <laughs> That's basically the premise that you're that you're talking about right there. And is she to me is how do you say her la- Tatiana, right? Is yeah, the actress Tatiana, I believe. Yes. Masla- I say Maslani. I don't know if that's how you Maslani, pronounce it. Maslani. Yeah. Yes, if yeah, forgive me if I'm butchering the pronunciation, but Tatiana is like she has all my respect and deepest empathy because I'm like I had my hands full with three. I loved it. Like I said, five would be pushing it. Mm. How many does she have? Like nineteen, twenty-seven? Oh, I don't even know. Yeah, she's it's been. Ridiculous. We are like high up in the in the two digits of selves that she's played, and it's a lot of work. And so I just remember watching that show beforehand, going, "Oh my god, I don't know how she does this. How am I going to do this?" And I was very grateful to be guided with the wonderful help of our visual effects team and the different directors that we worked with to help make it possible. Cause it is a weird kind of unconventional process, you know, aside from our show and orphan black, I don't know how many other shows someone's playing multiples of 
Yeah, those are the, the only two I know of. Yeah, it's not super common. So, man, Tatiana crushes it. Yeah. And she has all of my respect in the world because it is so hard. And she crushes it. She makes it look easy. Yeah, I used to say that, uh, you know, I'd love for their seasons to be longer, but that's probably all she can handle before she needs a break because, you know, <laughs> doing that many parts. And really, it's just her, at least on The Gifted. I played three people, but we still had the rest of an ensemble cast. I mean, a North and Black, it's really, it's all Tatiana all yeah, the time. Yeah, she's 90% of the cast. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know how long it takes them to make an episode. I'm like, I want to sit down with your line producer. I have so many questions. <laughs> like, now that I've, I've, I've been to the other side, I just have so much I need to know. <laughs> so from an acting standpoint, though, so you're playing these three characters, and they are very similar, but they're also different. So how did you bring that to, like, how did you differentiate Esme, Phoebe, Sophie, and how, you know, like, how did you make sure to keep yourself straight as far as, like, which one you're playing and making sure to, to put in those subtleties of, of the differences? Well, I had initially asked if they could be different and sort of within the realm of keeping to who the Frost sisters are, how different could they be? Like, how, how flexible could we be with that? And... They had to be similar enough that it's eerie, but they were allowed to be sort of nuanced in their personalities. And I had a lot of creative liberty in the sense that our writers and Matt Nix were pretty open to just like, let's see what we come up with. Like, let's play and really make these girls feel real and distinguish from each other without feeling like they're wildly different people. And I had kind of approached it because... I'm not like a numerology person, but there's something about the number three that I find quite fascinating. Mm. And when I think of the number three, I always think of like in psychology, they'll have that triangle of like the id, the ego, and the super ego. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to the Frost sisters, they're all about mind control. And so the mind is at the forefront of their powers. And so I thought, what if it was sort of like the id, the ego, and the super ego, but in terms of the girls? And so I felt like Esme was the one who was the most torn between the two and that she was the ego. Phoebe is all spice and nothing nice. She was absolutely our id. She had like the slightly raspier voice and tended to say the snarkier things. And then Sophie was our super ego who was like, but did you triple check? You know, just make sure, very cautious, sort of the sweeter of the three. And so to sort of use that as almost like, you know, they hive mind. And so they are each other's id, super ego, and ego, but they're also their own people. It's a psychological disaster, but it's what makes them so fun. But that was sort of my <laughs> approach to breaking down the three of them and their personality differences. Sure. And which one did you enjoy playing the most? It depended on the day. I mean, Phoebe was always fun because she would just have like those weird one-liners and like say something kind of snotty to like Sean Teal's character, Stephen Moyer. And you'd be like, why though? Like, why is Phoebe so salty? Like, she's just got an edge. She's the mean girl. She's the mean girl. But there was sort of a mean girl with a really sort of dark sense of humor all mm. the while. And Esme, though, really won me over. And she won me over the most when Lorna has the baby and there's the episode where she babysits. That was the most amount of fun. And I just remember asking our writer, 
how much am I allowed to enjoy this baby? You know, we had like one of those TV babies that's made of jello or whatever they're made (laughs) out of. They're like the squishy, very real life, but not real babies. And she's like, you can, I, I don't know. Do you think you could enjoy this? And I said, well, I don't think Esme is allowed to enjoy anything, especially when she feels like she's being watched. Like she's always working. But what if she really felt like she was alone and she just got like really into babysitting because she really thinks that she's alone. And they were like, okay. And I did this ridiculous take where I was like, oh, who's so cute? Oh, who's so cute? And I was like full on, like the way I talk to my nieces and nephew as Skylar in real life. And like playing with this baby and singing crazy songs and doing all the baby dances where you're like swinging them and bouncing them. And they kept it in. And I was like, how? How did that happen? Like, how was I allowed to do that? And they said, because it showed that Esme is a real person. And it was so nice to see that there is a sweetness under there, even though she's made some hard choices and she's had a hard life. There is a real gooey center to her as a person. And we wanted to include that. And I just was so happy. And that's what made it fun. The more we got to lean into that part of Esme and sort of see her become more and more dynamic, which again is too bad that the show didn't continue on because I know that there was a really fun story arc there for her to continue on in season three. Oh, well do tell. Without getting in all the trouble, because I don't know how these things work, and God willing, the show finds the light of day another way, because that happens all the time these days. Mm-hmm. We would have really gotten a more, I always said, a less plaid, more rad Esme. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, you know, it would have been like, she would have traded in her stilettos for Doc Martens, mm-hmm. and she kind of would have just chilled out a little bit, both in her physical appearance and just sort of unbuttoning a little bit and being a little bit more open. And I think part of that is Lorna's influence and friendship with her over the course of the show, but also just the fact that she does get to leave her sisters and ultimately for the first time in her life, kind of be her own person and sort of the freedom of getting to be your own person and think her own thoughts. I mean, imagine I couldn't do that. I had two other people listening in at any given point in time. Like the freedom that would have come from, I can think whatever I want up here and no one's going to hear me. And I can go and do things and I'm not going to have two nosy sisters second guessing my every move or interfering with my plans. You know, it would have been a fun blossoming of, of Esme Frost for sure. I am sad that we didn't get that. But then, as you say, you know, you never know when things come back. Because that was going to be one of the other things I was going to ask you if Disney came and said, hey, you know, we've been looking at The Gifted and we think that it's a show that should continue. Would you like to come back? Would you do it? I mean, I say never say never. We've seen it happen so many different times with a bunch of different TV shows. It's not uncommon that, you know, network shows find a new home and new life on a streaming platform. So I would love for that to happen. And seriously, if anyone from Disney or anywhere else on the internet is listening, call Nathan or I and we'll make it happen. But um, I also always joked with Emma Dumont that there could be a really weird spinoff that was like, like a multicam sitcom where Lorna and Esme move to Manhattan and they try to raise her daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was like mutants in the city. And it was just like, 
<laughs> two single mutants trying to raise one mutant daughter, whatever. It was just like, we always joked about that, that that would be the spinoff. And who knows, maybe that's an option. <laughs> but we all got along so well and had so much fun. There was no world where we wanted the show to end, especially not as early as it did. Yeah. I was heartbroken with that one, especially with some other things that stay on that I'm like, how did that stay on in The Gifted Did It? <laughs> you know? Listen, I'm not naming names, Nathan, but for sure it is a struggle. And I've often wondered, I'm like, this? They kept this? Like, are you kidding? What? This doesn't make any sense. Now, granted, I'm biased, but even still, I miss it every day. And it's very common. You make a show, it gets picked up, it doesn't get picked up. That is sort of par for the course in this business. But that was one of the times when there was just a little extra sting. And I really think it's because, not exaggerating at all, the crew and cast of The Gifted still are so freakishly close that it actually was heartbreaking not to get to go back and work with each other. And that was the hardest part about it. It was a dream job. I was getting paid to see my best friends every day and get to dress up and have superpowers. And, you know, we got to do that by day. And then we'd all like grab a burger and a beer after work. Like it was the best sort of X-Men summer camp in the world. And I'm so grateful for all those people. And I would do anything to get to go back to work with them. I just had lunch with Jamie Chung the other day and she was saying the same thing. She's like, how much do you miss going to work with each other? And I said, so much. Nothing compares. <laughs> oh, that is nice. So that's nice that you keep in touch with each other, too, because that's really cool. So if you could have been any other role in The Gifted, now forget about age or whatever. You're an actor. You know, you can play young. You can play old, whatever. Was, is there any other part in The Gifted that you would have been like, oh, it would have been cool if I had gotten a chance to do that? Ooh, that's a fun one. I would say there are two roles. So I believe Percy was the one who got to destroy stuff. Mm-hmm. And that just seemed badass to me. Like his effects were so cool. Mm-hmm. I would have loved that. I also really loved the role that Angelica Fellini got to play where she was our little twisted, you know, like where she would kind of like turn things inside out. Mm-hmm. So gnarly and insane, but also super cool. I really yeah. liked both of those powers. Although I don't think we had anyone who did this. In real life, I would love to be able to time travel mm. or at least teleport so I didn't have to sit in traffic. But <laughs> neither of those superpowers <laughs> made the light of the show. But I'm like, if there's someone who does that, I'd like to know how, please. Oh, we're thinking the same. We're thinking the same here. Cause I'm like, you know, you know, I work from home now, but when, when everything gets better and I go back to work, it's like, it'd be great to not have to commute, you know, and I could just wake yeah. up one day, you know, get dressed, teleport to work. And that way I could get an extra, you know, like half hour, 45 minutes of sleep. You know, that'd be great. Nathan, I got to tell you, living in LA and driving around these days, I'm realizing how long it actually takes to get places. Mm-hmm. And I was like a little mad at first. I was like, wait a minute. It only takes 20 minutes to get to Santa Monica. Not an hour and a half. <laughs> this wasted time. Like this is a whole new world to me. And I always used to joke that, you know, if only I could teleport. So there's still time. It's only 2020. Maybe it's something I'll see in my lifetime. (laughs) There you go. So now Disney owns Fox. They own The Gifted. And since you played the Frost sisters, who are the daughters of Emma Frost, who's the White Queen, does that make you a Disney princess? (gasps) 
Oh, I mean, I wouldn't have made that assumption on my own, but it should. I hope that would be amazing. (laughs) Well, it's funny you mentioned this because I was trying to explain to my niece, who will be six in December, about The Gifted. She had seen, I think she had seen, the show's definitely too dark, but I think my sister, her mom, had shown her a trailer with like, look it, there's three of your Auntie Skylar, whatever. And then, you know, she had some questions about it. And I said, yeah, like, you know, we're the Frost Sisters. And she goes, you mean like in Frozen? (laughs) And I was like, well, uh, hmm, not exactly like in Frozen. So I don't know if there's a conflict of interest that like the Frost Sisters of Frozen can be Disney princesses, but also the Frost Sisters of Daughters of Emma Frost can be (laughs) Disney princesses. I don't know if there's room for two sets of Frost Sisters as Disney princesses. I hope so. Well, there is kind of a resemblance, I think, between you and Elsa. There's not not a resemblance. (laughs) So it was hard for me to explain this to my niece because she's like, I mean, you are blonde, you wear your hair in braids, you have blue eyes, you play the Frost Sisters. I'm like, God, the kid lays out a really good argument. Like, I don't know now. (laughs) I was like, yeah, it's not, not quite the same type of Frost Sister. It's a little bit different. Yeah. A little bit different. So, you know, we talked a little bit, you know, the X-Men's been around a long time. It's almost 60 years at this point that they've been telling all these different stories. And, you know, now you've become part of that, you know, you've become part of that storytelling, you know, moving forward. Why do you think that those stories and characters are still around after so long? I think the X-Men is a perfect example to speak to stories that kind of live the test of time and are able to accrue a multi-generational following. The X-Men's origins are an allegory for the Holocaust and persecution and people not fitting in and being afraid of the other and trying to make sense of people who feel different from us and holding space for people that we might be afraid of or don't understand in our world. And I feel like these are deep-seated human struggles that have existed long before we got here. I hope they're gone by the time we go, but, you know, it's just part of the human experience. And I think that these types of stories, these massive origins like the X-Men and others like it, are able to sort of help people grow up with ideas of acceptance and fitting in and embracing your weird or your niche, whatever that might be, and how to treat people. And like, what is your superpower in real life? Do you use it for good? Do you use it for evil? What kind of choices do you make in the world? What kind of person are you? You know, I think it's a fun and colorful way of really teaching people how to be good people. And sometimes when we're little, it's more fun to watch the X-Men than it is to watch the History Channel. And I love the History Channel. No shade. But, you know, I think that's what makes it fun. And there are characters that we grow up on that are iconic to us and inspire us to be the people we are in real life. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. And I'm so grateful for the X-Men legacy and what it's done. And it's still relevant. The movies, the stories they're telling now, I feel like it was as relevant and resonating when it started as it is today, some 60 years later. So I'm super grateful to have been a part of the X-Men family, even if for a short time, 
I mean, that's just the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, it's definitely not a bad thing to have on your resume, right? I mean, come on. I saw Marvel show. I was like, I'm in. They were like, it's in the X-Men family. I'm like, let's do this. Like, I was so excited. And I booked the job not knowing what the hell I was auditioning for. It was super secretive. Mm. I like kind of had a sense that there might be like more than one character, but I don't know. I mean, I showed up in Atlanta, Georgia, being told like, hey, you know you're on the X-Men show, right? And I was like, wait, what? Like now I'm nervous. Like I wasn't before, but now I've got these big shoes to fill. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but what a treat it was. Nice. So since The Gifted, you know, I, I realized with quarantine and lockdown, you were going back to finish your college and everything, you know, you've been fairly busy, but do you have anything else that you've been working on that you would like to plug? Absolutely. I'll shamelessly plug. Thank you, Nathan. You're welcome. I don't know where it will land, but I've been told it will be out at some point by the end of this year, early next year. I did a little movie at the end of last year with Bella Thorne and Austin Nichols, a little indie thriller called Masquerade. Ironically, we made a movie in December of last year about a couple of criminals who wear masks when they break into houses. Now, little did we realize the the resonance of what it would mean. Like everybody's masked now, like that's normal. <laughs> but that happened to be what was happening in the movie. And it's really fun. Austin Nichols and I play a couple who breaks into a house to do what should be a pretty easy robbery. And um, the wheels fall off really, really quick. And we end up realizing that we're not alone in the house, that the, you know, the daughter of the people who own the house is still there. Um, who's played by Olivia Allen Lind, Natalie Lind's little sister from The Gifted. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, she's in it, and she's amazing. And the three of us are stuck in this house in the middle of the night. There's almost no light in the movie. All but flashlights are about the only source of light in the entire movie. It's super contained, super crazy, super scary with moments of humor, and a really, really fun little movie. And definitely fits right into this masked culture we found ourselves in. So that's called Masquerade. And I know that will be available for streaming, I think, and should be out hopefully by the time this interview is out. Okay, very cool. Any hope of the gifted cast reunion? You know, because a lot of casts for different shows now are doing like Zoom call things where they all get together and put it out there somewhere. Have you guys ever talked about that? About you know, getting together and doing something like that. I feel like we should, although there's so much action in our so show. Like, I wonder if, like, reading it out loud, people would be like, the narrator has been reading action descriptions for four minutes. <laughs> I wonder if we could get away with that. But yeah. it would be fun to do. I mean, we all talk to each other all the time anyway. We may as well just, like, put it on a Zoom call and, like, record it for the masses. Well, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't have to be one of those table reads. It could be like you guys just hanging out and you just put it out there for everybody of you guys reminiscing and talking about stuff about the show or whatever. I think that would be pretty cool. We should do this. Nathan, I feel like you should spearhead this. <laughs> I am fine with doing that. If you Sometimes if we need a, a moderator because we just get mm -hmm. so excited. We'll go on tangents so far beyond a question asked or story told. Someone's got to reel us in because it's like... It's like, have you, do you have a big family? I've got two kids. 
Okay. So, if, but if you've ever been to like a big dinner with like big family dinner, like imagine Thanksgiving, mm. right? And there's like 15 people at the table and they're all talking as loud as possible over each other. Everyone's having a great time, but no one's getting anything across because they're all just so excited to be together. My mom's That's side pretty of the much, family. I got it. Okay. Yes. So this is exactly what it looks like when we were together. We were the worst at like settling down for a table read because we'd all be like, hey, oh my God, how are you? How is work? Oh, did you do that cool stunt today? Oh my God, that's so great. Hey, did you hear about the blah, blah? And like our poor AD was like, you guys, like you guys are just so excited to see each other, even though you've been at work together all day. Like we'd all be in the same room. That's what it's like. It's a joy. We're just, you know, loud, proud, and a family of mutants. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that is really cool. Yeah, no, I mean, I would be, I would be happy to moderate something like that. So yeah, I mean, let's we should keep in do touch. it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we should do it, and like, I don't know, maybe make it like a charitable thing. I would love that. I think that would be so fun. And like I said, we all are in a group chat anyway, talking all the time. <laughs> we may as well just sit down and open our computers and you know do it properly. But Nathan. You have my blessing. Let's make it happen. All right. Fantastic. I will definitely be in touch. But uh, yeah, Skylar, uh, thank you so much. I, I, we went a little bit over and I'm so glad that you were able to give your time to being on the show today. And thank you for joining us on the 42 cast. Thank you so much. What a pleasure to meet a new person in this weird, weird time. It's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And that is it for our interview with Skylar Samuels. Skylar, if you're listening to this, once again, I want to say thank you for taking your time for being on the show. It was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed talking with you about The Gifted and various things about your career in the past, things that you're working on in the future. And if you ever want to come back on the 42 cast, we would be happy to have you. But now I want to know what all the rest of you thought of this and all of the other episodes that we've done. What are things that you like about the show? What are things that you want to improve on the show? What are other guests that you would like us to have on the show? We really want to know what your thoughts are, and you can let us know in a variety of ways. One way is by emailing us at everything at 42cast.com. Another way is to go to our website at 42cast.com and leave a message on any of the episodes. You can go to our Facebook at facebook.com slash 42cast. You can tweet to us at 42cast, and we're also on Instagram as 42cast, and you can leave us a comment there. You can also leave us reviews on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. And in the case of Apple Podcasts, your reviews actually help promote the show because the more reviews we get, the more likely the show is to show up on searches. So if you haven't left a review on Apple Podcasts and if you have an account with Apple, please leave a review there so that that can happen. You know, help raise the profile of the show. I also want to make sure and mention the ESO Patreon. You can go find that at patreon.com slash ESO network. You can see all of the different tiers available. You can see all the different things you get. There are early episodes that you get for various shows. There's one exclusive ESO Network show that you can only get by being part of the Patreon. So you can see all of that there. Again, it helps us keep all the shows on the network going. And it's a way that uh, you can help contribute to the station. So if this is something where you have some funds available and would like to contribute, please go check that out. I also want to put in a plug for Time Streams, which is the other show that I do where my friend Juliet and I go through all of Doctor Who from the beginning, talk about the show, and it's a lot of fun because Juliet has never watched any classic Doctor Who, and I've been watching Doctor Who since I was five years old, and so it's a great mishmash of, you know, I've watched all these episodes dozens of times, and Juliet's never seen them, and so we talk about our thoughts and things that we like about the episodes, don't like, stuff like that. 
And the great thing is, if you find the older storytelling hard to follow, but you want to know more about classic Doctor Who, and you want to know what our opinions were, you can still watch the show, because we explain what happens in the episode to you. So, again, it's not a barrier to entry uh, if you don't watch the episodes, but obviously if you do watch the episodes, then you'll probably get a little more out of each episode of our show. But yeah, that's Time Streams, and yeah, check it out. Well, that's it for today's episode. Join us back next week when Tom Cavanaugh will not be joining us. And until then, this is Nathan signing off. You have been listening to the 42 cast copyright 2021. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42 cast.com. Theme music is sharper swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42 cast is a proud member of the ESO network. This has been a broadcast of the ESO network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.